For years, I was so fed up with shampoo, I just stopped washing my hair. I quit completely. I was so sick of poofy, frizzy, limp hair, distorting my natural oils. Until a few months ago, I found Modern Mammals, and it changed everything. And by the way, right now you can visit modernmammals.com and use code LSS for 10% off. So check that out. So look, I heard about this through the podcast, and before I agreed to advertise, they sent it to me, and I was reluctant. But let me tell you, I should not have been. This stuff is absolutely magical. My hair felt better, smelled way better, and most importantly, looked better. And I know it will do the same for you as well. It doesn't have those hair-ruining chemicals like other products, and it doesn't leave any leftover residues. It works. Don't believe me? Go read their awesome reviews online as well. Go to ModernMammals.com and use code LSS for 10% off. Again, that's ModernMammals.com for 10% off with promo code LSS. Don't forget to use our promo code LSS so they know we sent you. everyone and welcome back to another episode of the podcast of my show lead singer syndrome i'm your host as always shane told as i take you into the backstage conversations that i have with one lead singer me to another lead singer the guest and this week we have a great episode i speak with daryl of Snapcase. This one was very special. One of my favorite bands of all time. The first hardcore band I ever heard. The reason I dove into the Victory Records catalog and later contributed to it myself. Uh, This is awesome. And I want to thank Daryl so much for taking the time to speak with me, for being so open. And this is a great episode. This is action packed. So I could not be more stoked to have Daryl. I have had a week, to say the least. My arm is broken. I broke my arm uh, in a couple places. It's not great. Um, And, yeah, when you break your arm on tour, in the middle of a tour, it's really, really not good at all. Uh, I want to thank the people of Houston, Texas, for helping me at the urgent care facility and getting me some some help. Uh, I also flew back to Canada. I want to thank the doctors up there as well. So yeah, it's been a crazy, crazy week flying back and forth, doing these shows in a sling. But right now, um, it's feeling a little bit better. Um, they're saying six to eight weeks, it's supposed to heal. So um, if you come to our shows in the next couple weeks, yes, you're going to see me in a sling. I look very cool up there, I'm sure. But hey, the show must go on. I'm not going to cancel shows over a little broken arm. Come on. Come on. But yes, this is coming out a little bit late and uh, I'm sure y'all understand. So I want to welcome a new sponsor to the show, Iconic.com. 
com. That's right, E-Y-E-C-O-N-I-C dot com. If you wear glasses or contacts, you're going to want to check them out. If you think you might need glasses like me, they can connect you with a doctor. They've got this virtual try-on tool, which is really, really, really awesome. And not to mention their prices. Woo! Unbeatable, unbelievable. So yes, if you wear glasses or contacts, go over to Iconic.com. You can use my promo code LSS. I just want to welcome them to the show. There will be an ad later in the episode. Definitely listen to that. But they are amazing I'm sure you or someone you know wears corrective lenses or contacts. So, yes, you're going to want to be aware of Iconic.com. Great name, too. Also, I want to remind you, you can always get in touch with me. I read all my email. I write back to most of it. LeadsingerSyndrome at gmail.com. And also, be sure to add me on social media at Shane Told at LeadsingerSyndrome. That's on Instagram and at lead singer sin S Y N on Twitter and what else? Facebook. We got a Facebook page like that. Julia and Neil are still running it, doing a great job. Shout out to them and shout out to all my sinners in the lead singer syndrome, all access club. I have had some really awesome hangs with you guys nearly every day of this tour broken arm or not. It has been really, really, really good. And if you want to become a member of the Lead Singer Syndrome All Access Club, one of my sinners, check it out. LeadSingerSyndrome.com slash all access for as little as $6 a month. That gets you in. We got bonus episodes with people like Dustin Davidson of August Burns Red, Jared Alonji, who else? Ryan from Miss May I. I talked to other industry people, a lot of non-lead singers. So there's some great bonus content on there and you get cool merchandise shipped to your house and it does help keep the lights on around here. So again, the link, leadsingersyndrome.com slash all access. Well, let's get into it here. My conversation with Daryl of Snapcase. Syndrome, how you doing? Good, dude. Thank, thanks for doing this. Yeah, I'm excited. Yeah, it's it's really it's really uh, crazy. You know, it's um, I've been a huge fan of Snapcase like since I was in high school. I'm 38 now, so um, you know, this is this is really cool for me actually to to have you on the program. Awesome. So, are you still be here? Thank you, man. Are you still in Buffalo? Is that still where you uh, call home? Yep. Yep. That's that's crazy. Which uh, part exactly? I live in um, what's called Parkside or almost North Buffalo. Okay. Okay, yeah. cool. Cool, yeah, because I'm just from, I grew up in um, Oakville, Ontario, which I don't know if you ever played Oakville specifically. I'm sure you played Hamilton um, and obviously Toronto a million times, but but I'm not from too far away, so uh, so I actually know the Buffalo area pretty well. Yeah, I actually grew up in, in West Seneca, but um, I live in Buffalo now. Yeah, that's that's crazy, man. So, so with um, maybe we should start there, man. Buffalo, New York. Um, you know, not a place I think. You know, when people think of hardcore or music or rock music, they 
generally comes to mind first. Um, but what a scene that existed in Buffalo, you know, back in the nineties. It was, well, even before then, I mean, sure. Growing up in the Buffalo underground scene, it was just, it was awesome. Um, so starting in the, in the late eighties for me, mid to late eighties, going to punk shows and uh, metal shows and hardcore shows. Cause back then they were all one in the same, you know, in a sense, right. Under, underground, just being underground because the scene was so small and, um, you know, bands like cannibal corpse and yeah. the Google Do- and Google yeah. Dow when they were a metal band. Yeah, sure. Yeah. So like, and the, the funny thing is, is the scene was so small that, um, you know, like, like the guys from Cannibal Corpse and the guys from the Goo Goo Dolls and maybe even sometimes the people from the 10,000 Maniacs were all hanging out at the same club, <laughs> you know, at one time because it's just the way it was back then. And, um, Absolutely. The Goo Goo Dolls, um, I have photos that I took from Youth of Today shows and uh, Robbie from the Goo Goo Dolls is hanging out on, on, on stage and I know that um, Alex from... Uh, Cannibal Corpse was at those shows too. So, yeah, it was just kind of a cool scene. Those, you know, late 80s. Totally, totally. Um, and then. Go ahead. Oh, and I was just going to say, you mentioned the, the 90s hardcore. And to me, that's a whole other story. But yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm really proud of everything that, that came out of Buffalo musically, you know, from the you know early to mid 90s to the late 90s and early 2000s. So, yeah. Yeah. And it was, and you know, it's kind of crazy, I guess, you know, you're a kid going to shows. I don't know if you really realize, like I certainly didn't realize in Southern Ontario that we had a special thing going on, you know, when I was growing up, I just assumed that, that this was happening kind of in every, you know, city or suburb of, you know, major city, um, you know, in North America. Did you recognize that, that what was going on was special no, not at all. I, <laughs> I know that I know that we were sort of fortunate that a lot of the East Coast bands love to play Buffalo. So a lot of the New York hardcore bands and and the Boston bands. Um, but uh, you know the local scene, we were just all really kind of like trying to emulate those groups that came here so often, and um, we just had a killer scene, you know. Yeah. And again, it was small. We all knew each other. Um, but uh, yeah, in fact, my but my first show was actually uh, a Canadian band. It was SNFU. Oh, <laughs> cool! So that's awesome. Yeah, yeah. and um, they were always killer. They they were. Oh my god, what a band! Um, it's just crazy, right? Like five kids from Buffalo, you know, growing up, going to see shows. The bands you mentioned to become one of the most famous hardcore bands ever. When I say that, what comes to mind? Well, I don't think that. <laughs> um, well, I mean, but, uh, I I don't know, you know man. I, I um, put you guys up there. It's kind of, but it has blown me away um, in recent years um, as to how popular, actually, you know, just how widespread hardcore is and how many, you know, different lives it's touched. And, you know, I think sure. just about the people that we've played with and the different bands and, um, but you know, now through social media, you know, you see people posting flyers or photos or, yeah. you know, or what's even more common these days is posting the record they just got. 
of some old band <laughs> and to see how many people like a lot of that stuff from the from the 90s kind of blows me away there's a great instagram account that i follow i think it's buffalo show flyers are you familiar with this one yeah, I do follow that as yeah, well. Yeah, and it's like amazing, you know, not just to see that stuff and remember, you know, those bands that were maybe like early on the bill that you forgot about um, and remembering. But what's crazy is, yeah, in the comments when someone says, yep, I was at this show and I remember when like this happened, you know, and that's just like such a cool, you know, thing to look back and reflect on, um, you know, and, and I think like what that means is just, it's just amazing how much those shows and that music scene meant to so many people, you know, um, for so long and still. Yeah. I mean, I, I actually am a flyer collector myself. Oh, um, cool. I never really, I didn't really collect tons of t-shirts or records, but I do, I always saved flyers. Um, and, uh, yeah, I was going through them not too long ago and it just, I don't know. We, we've always felt fortunate as a band to have played with such a, variety of different bands so you know whether it was napalm death or fugazi i mean it's like yeah. we played with so many different types of bands it's crazy yeah it is crazy but you know I, I don't know where to start now but but maybe we can go back a little bit to the beginning of the band but your sound is not typical of most you know hardcore bands when you think of like new york hardcore you know you guys didn't play fast like double time stuff you know, it was more like slow, kind of like with a lot of groove, you know, very, you know, very different. And of course your vocal style too, you know, unmistakable. Uh, where did that all come from? Um, you, you know, like, cause it's, it's obviously your sound, you were able to, to blend in with a lot of different kinds of music because of that. Well, I think it's because the, the guys in the band always, we all listen to, you know, I wouldn't say like we each listen to different kinds of music. We all listen to different music. So, but it was all mostly underground music. So, we we're all really into like the New York hardcore. We love bands like the Chromags and um, you know Youth of Today and Agnostic Front and all mm -hmm. those bands. And then, but the bands that really drove us were bands like Verbal Assault, <laughs> Dag Nasty. Yeah. Um, you know. Um, and then, you know, of course, Quicksand. Right. And then when Bands like Helmet came around, um, things like that, you know, that, and, and of course, being from Buffalo, zero tolerance. So early on, you know, everybody wanted to be as zero tolerance as they could be from Buffalo. So that was huge for us, too. Totally. Totally. Uh, what about the Canadian bands? Like, you know, one of my biggest influences and in, in the band that was, you know, came from my hometown was Grade. You know, and that was a band that, that I think really paved the way for my own music. I guess they were kind of more your peers. I'm not sure whether you influenced them or they influenced you or maybe a little bit back and forth. Um, yeah, I mean, Great is always, they were an awesome band. And um, I don't know, you know, I don't think I came to know them until a little bit later. Like we had been a band for a while, but right, right, I, they okay. may have been a band right along um, I mean, <clears throat> Snapcase came out of a band called Solid State, which started in '89. Yeah, and then and then we became Snapcase probably around '91. Yeah. So and then yeah, the I first guess, seven inch was like I guess 90, that's true. Grade probably two ninety three. Grade probably didn't start until maybe '94. 
Um, damn, dude. So let's talk about your vocals. This is the Lead Singer Syndrome podcast. Um, your voice is, like I said, unmistakable. And was that just you screaming your head off over loud amps in a practice space? I mean, or was there a calculated thing there? Or were you trying to emulate somebody? What, what, where did that sound come from? I never could do, <laughs> as much as I tried to emulate certain vocalists, I never could do what they were doing. <laughs> um, and honestly, I don't think my, my vocal sound or style really materialized until we recorded with uh, Steve Evitz yeah. on um, progression through and learning. I mean, maybe a little bit on the Steps EP prior to that, but um, when we went in to record progression through and learning, um, Steve just really liked uh, the sound of my voice when it was being pushed as hard as I could push it, which was a pain in the ass. But um, <laughs> yeah. And uh, we, when we went in there, we um, the Steps EP, we loved those songs, but they were recorded um, too slow oh, and okay. um, too cautiously. And so we told Steve, we want to emulate our live energy and sound so we want to almost play these songs a little bit too fast. And when I listen to it now, those songs are like flying. They're like so fast to me, but um, it was really hard to keep up with the vocals. And But that guy, he just kept pushing me and pushing me. And, you know, as soon as that record came out, I mean, I had to do it all the time. And <laughs> that became it. When you recorded that record, did you know it was going to be the game changer that it that it was or is? Um, Did you know you no had something idea. special there? I don't think so. I think um, because when we so the the release before was Steps and then oh and Looking Glass Self and then mm -hmm. Steps and um, Scott Dressler who was actually my first cousin but he was the uh, the main songwriter on those two releases and when he left the band um, we had to we replaced him with Frank. Yeah, and nobody knew what we were going to be able to do after that. And Tim, our drummer, yeah. yeah, and the other guys all started stepping up as songwriters as well. And um, the first song Frank came to us with was Caboose. And oh. said, I kind of got this song, and Frank was playing in a band called Fade Away. Oh yeah, I remember Fade Away um, for a long time. Yeah. So he says, "Well, I got this song, and, and it was Caboose," and we we're like, "So that song, we we're all like." this is it. This is what we want to do. <laughs> you know? So, um, I just remember being really positive about that song. The rest of the material, I don't think we really, we worked meticulously on it, but I don't think we knew what we had. Right. Well, could we talk about the snare drum? Uh, <laughs> sure. <laughs> I'm sure you've been asked. Um, and Tim's probably been asked even more. Um, what? So I, I mean, I thought it was the coolest thing in the world. You know, I was like 16, that record came out and I was like, and I, I was, you know, a drummer myself and I went to the store and I bought a 13 inch brass piccolo snare drum, which I still have, <laughs> um, because of the snare drum on that record. Um, was it, how did that come about? Is that, is it actually like a smaller snare drum? Whose idea was that? Where, where, cause obviously in the later records it, it you know, you, you started using a more conventional snare sound. You know, I, I think we brought a couple snares with us to the studio, and I think Steve Evans just liked how it cut through. 
Yeah. And since we wanted to play faster, he wanted the, the snare to just be relentless and to cut through everything. Um, and Tim's a really hard-hitting drummer also, so, sure. you know, that also was part of it. But um, whenever I hear about the snare drum from that record, it's funny because I used to answer all of our uh, mail. And this was like before social media, all that stuff. So we used to get like handwritten letters, oh, yeah. like crazy, yeah. at that time from all over the place. And I swear, like two or three out of every ten were about the snare drum. <laughs> <laughs> like, you know, it's just like Tim. I don't know, but like you have to have like your own like mail column here because <laughs> it's just like drummer dudes like asking me about your snare drum all the time. <laughs> <laughs> that's very funny um but i mean it, it is like that was part of your sound i mean like it was nothing like it you know it, it would definitely set it apart it, it you know you knew i mean your voice obviously was probably the the most obvious thing but that snare drum was a, was a close second <laughs> yeah for sure um i guess it's also you know important to note around that time you know that was when victory records had been growing and you guys were at the forefront of it. You know, there was also like Earth Crisis, of course, uh, Strife, maybe to a lesser extent. Um, what was going on with the label at the time? D- did you guys feel like a, a sense of camaraderie with the label? Um, did you feel like you guys were, there was a movement there going on? Because obviously like that record came out and it was huge and it was selling, you know, numbers that hardcore bands just had never sold before. Well, I guess I'll start by when we first signed to the label. We, At the time, we had recorded a demo um, before our first 7-inch victory, and we recorded a demo, and it was us really trying to be zero tolerance. It was like a lot of double bass and like crunchy guitars. And, um, and I, I remember going through Maximum Rock and Roll and just sending the, the cassette demo out to as many of the record labels as I could in there. I don't even remember what some of them were called. Um, and, um, Victory was one of the ones that said, yeah, this is cool. Um, could you get down to Chicago to play? So, um, we borrowed a car from some guy because the car had a trailer hitch, (laughs) which is ridiculous. So we drove a car with a trailer to Chicago and, um, played there and, um, came back and the car was like done. We like blew the guy's engine and everything. We had no money to help him. This is like a really weird deal. But um, at the time, Victory had like Ice Burn mm-hmm. um, and, you know, some some seven inches. But there weren't really like any like, there weren't a ton of like full length albums at that time. And then um, the only the strong was to come up soon um, compilation, which really pushed a, a lot of the bands. Um, and then, you know, and then Strife and Earth Crisis came on board and the three of us started touring together. Yeah. And, um, I think after we all had our own victory, really, and we toured together and the, the kids that were coming out to the show, I think we all sort of realized on that tour, like, this is a new scene, <laughs> you know, this is a new, a new stage for the hardcore scene. Like we had no idea until like that tour was just almost over. We're like, Wow. Yeah, it's crazy. I mean, because I remember, you know, Epitaph Records, you know, had, you know, Rancid and No Effects and that, you know, sort of punk rock was getting bigger and then Fat Records had their compilations and then there was Victory Style. 
you know, and I guess a lot of people were starting to lump together these, you know, put, putting these different bands in categories, I guess. And, you know, you guys being kind of the main biggest band, I guess, on, on victory, that must've been, you know, a crazy time. I just, I mean, you guys must, must've never expected to just sell that many albums, you know? We had no idea. We, we didn't, I mean, I don't, as it was happening, we, we were just so focused on what we were doing next that we weren't really even thinking that much about what we were actually accomplishing as we went along. You know, it's just, we were relentlessly touring and, and writing. Totally. Totally. And, and you guys had a lot of opportunities in other sort of non-hardcore situations. Um, one of them being Warp Tour, which before, you know, you guys played, it was almost always all like punk bands um, or, you know, some, there was some hip hop and like, I think maybe Helmet, you know, there was some like, you know, but that was more mainstream. Uh, you guys really paved the way though for, you know, hardcore bands to be accepted onto Warp Tour what was that like when you guys did that for the first time? Was it, did you feel accepted or did you kind of feel like outcasts? Um, I think initially we didn't know what to think. Um, I think we were doing the tour in a van. Oh boy. Um, and you know, a lot of the bands had buses or were, were kind of bros. <laughs> it's yeah. just sort of like, you know, we were sort of like just our, on our own, but as the tour went along and, you know, in what, Warp Tour fashion, you know, everyone started kind of like bonding together and, mm -hmm. you know, bands started kind of like complimenting each other and, you know, and then you'd get on stage and you'd see guys from other bands kind of like hanging out and watching you and then you'd do the same and it's just a great thing, you know, and it was, it was cool to kind of um, be touring and playing our music in a scene other than the, the standard hardcore scene. Totally. Totally. I mean, that must have opened a lot of doors. Did you feel like it did? Yeah, it did open some doors, um, you know, but I think um, I think our comfort zone still was never playing on a big stage outdoors in the middle of the daytime. <laughs> <laughs> I, still, I still prefer a dark, sweaty club. Lyrically, I always admired how positive your lyrics were. You know, the element of hope that you kind of had in your in your lyrics was a lot different than let's say like buried alive. You know what I mean? <laughs> Just to pick out another, another Buffalo band. Um, now you have a career in social work. So it's kind of interesting. Is it, is that kind of just your personality shining through in the, in the lyrics that you wrote? You know, I, I think that's one of the, you know, was a hard thing initially, like, because I, I didn't play, I wasn't the vocalist initially in the band. I was the bass player. And when I became the vocalist, it was sort of, oh, wow, I have to write lyrics now, you know? And um, at first, I didn't really, you know, did an okay job, but then I think it just sort of was me, you know? I um, and, and the funny thing is, you mentioned Barry Live, so I remember Scott Vogel and I had a conversation about this a long, like, forever ago. <laughs> really? Okay. I mean, I mean, way long ago, like, probably, like, 1994 or something like that, 93, 94, 95, somewhere in there. And he was just like, man, I gotta like, my vocals are all pissed and angry. <laughs> I was like, I know. I'm like, I'm like, I don't know. I just don't feel that vibe. I guess I'm too much into the, 
the positive hardcore thing and and then but I wasn't into um reading generic um political lyrics or or you know typical hardcore punk themes either so I was just kind of like well before you you know uh, align yourself with any of those themes you have to kind of know yourself and and feel comfortable within your own skin which I don't think I really did right um and it was the the first time in my life where I was living apart from my family so I wasn't under the the radar of my parents which um was really different for me to kind of like develop into more of an individual and that's kind of where you know all the lyrics came from was and it wasn't like anger or hatred towards my family for it It was more like positive positivity towards the exploration of this and like right you know what's out there um and what, what always blew me away about it was um I kind of thought, well, nobody's going to understand these words. Nobody's going to get it. It's just too personal. Um, and, you know, we were a straight-edge, vegetarian, vegan band right along. But, like, we never wore that on our sleeves. Right. And we used to get so much feedback from people that said, you have no idea how much you've helped me through a life problem, whether it was, like, you know, a drug addiction or alcoholism or whatever it was that they were dealing with, they, they felt that the lyrics really helped them through things. And that was really interesting to me because I often wondered if we made more of an impact than if we actually had standard straight edge lyrics. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, it's uh, totally, and it's, and it's crazy how when you listen back to, you know, progression through learning or, um, and, tr- and transmission, which is actually my first, my personal favorite record of your guys. Um, I think that those records, those, those lyrics, I mean, are absolutely timeless, you know? And now when you talk about how much of a focus there is on mental health, you know, um, which is great, I think it's, it's more true now than ever. Funny I say that because I am a person that does somewhat compartmentalize, you know, between, you know, music and family and career, like outside of music. And so I'd be, um, I, I was a, I work in a psychiatric inpatient um, hospital for 12 years and, yeah. um, I was a, a director there, but I still always ran groups, still did individual counseling from time to time. I ran family meetings and talking with people about, you know, gaining the strength to kind of like over whether it was like their depression or, or anxiety or, um, a combination of that along with like substance use. Yeah. You know, obviously, I didn't know at the time when I was writing these lyrics, you know, <laughs> I, I, you know, it's just kind of one of those things. You know, here I am writing about learning to find yourself, and I'm finding myself simultaneously. And, and later in life, when I look back at the lyrics I wrote, sometimes I'm kind of like, I wrote that? <laughs> you know, it's sort of like, they, they sort of like fit me. And it's just, you know, that's kind of like the beauty of being creative. And, and that's the art part of all of all of this absolutely man absolutely so snapcase is back kind of um (laughs) you guys have been doing some shows uh including one just earlier well last month i guess it was new york city was sick of it all you guys played a show in california um with modern life is war and i know you have a new song that you were playing live um what's going on now with the band or uh if you can if you can tell us 
So we all still love playing live. We all still love being together. Um, the kind of, um, you know, family away from family that you develop by being in a band. Um, and now that we don't, I guess it's more fun now because we're not doing it because it's like all we do. Right. Sure. Um, so it's kind of like something that we can do that's like we're relaxed and we're, we're having a lot of fun and we're not like worried about how many records are we going to sell or, or whatever it is. You know, it's like we can just go out and like rage and, you know, a lot of us don't get to rage in our normal <laughs> lives as it is right now. So like yeah. to go play these shows and, and just kind of cut loose and act really kind of stupid together as well. It's it's awesome, and it's as long as we can do that and have fun. And we've agreed we have one thing we've agreed upon as a band. And if we play like consecutive shows where we feel like we really suck, um, then we need to have a discussion about whether we should keep doing this because we don't want to <laughs> kill our legacy by playing like shit on stage, you know. So um, we have had a couple stinkers, you know, where we've gotten off the stage and been like, oh, that wasn't good, you know. And it wasn't anyone's fault except for our own you know but um you know we always pushed ourselves really hard when it came to the, the live show and uh so yeah and um honestly one of the most fun shows we've played uh, i would have to say was we did the every time i die christmas show in oh, december yeah, yeah. Here, here in buffalo and um it was insane <laughs> it was like so fun no it's it's, great day. It's, those guys are, are amazing it's cool what they've built you know, doing that every year. And it seems like, you know, every year it sells out immediately. Like they've, they've just done this amazing thing, this tradition for, for the city of Buffalo, you know, um, didn't they call it every time I die day or something? They like, you know, they, they, made, they did, I, which, which is really yeah, think, cool. Well, they, they ran like charitable events yeah, throughout the city all weekend long. And they had events that day as well. And, um, I think they got like, a. Yeah, the city named it every time I die day. It's <laughs> 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 just so funny and so cool at the same time. Uh, no, 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 absolutely. So uh, about new music, um, the song uh, that you were playing, I think like a year and a half ago, I don't know if you're still playing it, Spike Up Your Tone. Um, have you guys recorded this? Is this just something that you've practiced, demoed? You know, what's going on with that tune? And have you worked on any other new ones? Um, we have a ton of ideas for songs, and that was one that we were able to complete. Mm-hmm. Um, we like it. I don't know if we're crazy about it, but we do like it. Um, I, I really am inspired to do more music, though. I cool. um, And when we got back from New York, we actually drove to New York, so we had a lot of time and driving together on the way back. And I think one thing we kind of agreed upon was that... Um, you know, here we are playing in New York City with Sick of It All and Slapshot, two <laughs> bands that we all went to go see together when yep. we were teenagers. And I'm like, dudes, those bands have so many more new songs than we do. We haven't had a new song in like 20 years. This is ridiculous, you know? So um, we can't keep playing shows without, you know, right. being active as a band writing. So we all agree that we'd, we'd like to, you know write some new music and um we want to write music that's for the live show as well we just you know there's no point in writing songs that we don't get to enjoy live i i, I agree completely <laughs> and transmission you know pretty much your last album um and 
my favorite of yours, which, you know, despite, you know, progression through learning coming out at a time, you know, when I was in high school and I was really open to new music and, and stuff and transmission absolutely blew me away when that record came out. I mean, with that title, did you know that that was going to be your last record? I mean, I know you put up black, bright flashes after, but like, you know, that was kind of like a different kind of thing. No, bright flashes was more like outtakes from there. Exactly. Was, yeah. Yeah. Um, just for the listeners that, that say, no, no, no. Bright flashes was their actual last. Like, okay. I know they put it out <laughs> after, but it was like a lot of the same songs. Exactly. You know? So I just, just to clarify, not, I know, you know, <laughs> I just need to make sure that the people listening aren't screaming at their radios. <laughs> um, so, like, I guess, like, it's hard for me to think about any one of our albums without thinking of all of them. So, mm-hmm. you know, Steps to me was, like, that was Snapcase developing its sound. Progression through unlearning was us finding our sound and really, like, it had the energy. Um, Designs for Automotion came out after that. Mm-hmm. And that was, like, we just, it was funny, we just talked as a band, like, it's not the favorite album for any of us in the band. Like it's not designs. my favorite either, to be honest. Um, it was us being too, we, f- we always say we joke that we were too warped on that one. We we're like too much, like thinking about the warp to our crowd, not about like our roots. <laughs> yeah. And, um, and it wasn't really us. And, um, there's some good songs on there and it's cool, but, um, you know, I, I listened to, um, some of your other podcasts and I, I listened to the one you had with, uh, Dennis Lipson from Refuse. Mm-hmm. And um, we had toured with them in Europe, actually kind of like a mini tour and then a longer tour. And then we toured with them again uh, in the States. And they were, you know, I'm sure you've had this experience, but you tour with a band where you kind of like push each other every night. And then you leave the tour inspired, Yeah, um, you know, by where that tour took you and by, you know, how much the other band pushed you. And, you know, for sure, like, we left that tour and when, when they put out the shape of punk, we're super, um, inspired, you know, yeah. and we had already been writing some of those songs, but we wanted to get back to being like what Snapcase started as, which was, we're trying to be, you know, hardcore, but something that hardcore wasn't doing. And, um, yeah. you know, we just started writing things a way that we felt comfortable with. And, uh, you know, that's kind of, and transmission that's how that that album came about um we didn't know that it was gonna kind of be like (laughs) the end ending album yeah well you know i mean that was right you know when victory records had just started doing things you know way outside of hardcore and i mean i know they were putting out records like catch 22 and some other things but you know that's when thursday was blowing up and taking back sunday you know and that whole movement um and that's kind of right when you guys quit. Um, w- w- did you feel like what you were doing, your brand of hardcore wasn't sustainable anymore? Did you feel like your popularity was dropping off or was it just, look, we were at the end of this like personally and it's over. Like what was the reason that you guys, you guys, you know, stopped or broke up? Um, I think for me, uh, Tim, he left the band and um, he went to continue working on his PhD and, and just kind of move on with his career in academics. And then there was like a, a tour or two where John um, couldn't do the tour. And uh, I remember actually, I think it might've been 
Canadian tour. It might have been Snow Jam. Oh, yeah. Okay. And we had a um, this guy, Jamie Getz, from Philadelphia playing guitar in place of John. And Ben was playing drums now instead of Tim. And, but Ben was in the band. But um, it just started to not feel like Snapcase anymore to me. Mm-hmm. And... Um, you know, like you said, like uh, the whole, uh, like just like us and Earth Crisis and 108 and those bands in the mid 90s that kind of came up, there was a new scene coming up. And that was like Thursday and Every Time I Die and Thrice and all these bands. And um, it was just sort of simultaneous. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, and transmission, we, we thought like, we thought, wow, like people are going to be into this. And um, it was way better received in Europe. Um, but in the States, like the hardcore scene in the States, like they, um, it turns over faster. So you get like younger, newer kids more frequently, but also like the the other older fans just want your older music. They don't want to progress with your band. Right. And, um, we'd go back to Europe and we'd have the same people coming to see us that we had when we first started going there. Plus new ones so our fan base was growing there but in the states it was dwindling because right. they didn't want to hear what we were doing now right it's just, it was frustrating well for I us. mean if you look at Boy Sets Fire I mean that's a band that has continued to grow in Europe and they're absolutely massive over there now um, you know and, and in the US it, it you're right it, it kind of just faded away you know they still have their core fan base but it's it's not you know it's not like it was so, um, are you guys planning on going doing some things in Europe? Have you done things in Europe? We um, we played a festival maybe a a year and a half ago um, in Spain, but uh, okay. we haven't done much else. We're, we're hoping to. Yeah, I mean, we get we get requests and interest, but um, we just haven't been able to put it all together. No, you absolutely should. I mean, especially Germany. I, I, I see, still see people like we, we played a show with a band over there and one of the opening bands covered Caboose. Um, oh, really? Actually. Yeah. And they did a great job. And I was like, Oh, and I was like, maybe I'm going to come out of mosh retirement for this one, dude. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I, I definitely think there's people, I mean, I think there's people everywhere that, that really miss your band, but uh, I think in Europe, especially. Yeah, I mean, that would be fun. I mean, we, we hadn't been to California in a long time, and so we just did that show. And Yeah. Um, you know, so, yeah, Europe would be great. I love it, man. I love it. Um, so are you, this is a, if you, don't, if you don't want to answer this, you don't have to, but the way you guys broke up, um, are you still contractually obligated to Victory? Like, if you put out music, would it have to be on Victory? Or would you release music with them anyway? I'm just kind of thinking about that your relationship there with, with, uh, with Tony? That's a great question. <laughs> because we yeah. don't know. We were talking as a band. We're like, do we owe them anything else? Like, <laughs> where is it? Where is that contract? That thing's like 30 years old. Like, where, the, where the hell? What, we think we kind of did what we were supposed to do, but nobody's in the band is a hundred percent sure. Um, so that's a great question. <laughs> Maybe well, I shouldn't was, even have mentioned it right now, but uh, well, I, I don't. I think it's fine. Um, do you still talk to Tony ever? I mean, no, because he, he probably represses your records and stuff, right? I think so. You know, yeah. I mean, we were we didn't have like the the dramatic falling out with Tony like a lot of bands did. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we. 
it was a great label to be on when we first when we started. And, you know, there were some things that we were uncomfortable with as the time went on, and as bands were kind of signing and, and bailing soon after. Um, and that wasn't the band's fault. I mean, they were <laughs> doing what was smart for them. Sure. Um, you know, but uh, I think it only got worse as we were finishing up as a band. You know, um, you know whether it was Hatebreed or Thursday and mm-hmm. countless others. Yeah, I guess they were both. Hatebreed and Thursday were both like one and done bands. And Boy Sets Fire too. Um, yeah, which and is in fact, interesting. Like we were... And, you know... Um, it kills me how many bands we were trying. We tried to get Tony to sign that he passed on. Um, <laughs> you know, refused was actually like he passed and refused the first time around, and then he didn't really like stick with it. He was it, the label was way more into promoting the donuts than they were refused. And, and, <laughs> and in fact, when donuts came to um, to the states to tour with us, that was all because that was the band Victory wanted to get behind. Um, but we were like saying, no, you need refuse. And, um, I think they loved the idea of this like female group from, um, Sweden. Yeah. And which was cool, you know, but like they weren't a great band like refused was. So yeah, well there's, there's been very few bands like refused in the history of music. Um, one of the greatest bands ever. So that's crazy. That's crazy. But Victory did end up putting out something by Refused. I mean, I know they still have their t-shirts at least. So they, they <laughs> I know they put out something. It wasn't obviously it wasn't Shape of Punt to Come, but they put out something, some Refused record, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, I think the the, the Refused records they put out. I don't think I don't remember. I think Refused was on a label and I think Victory just licensed them to Oh, okay. Yeah, that, that the albums be. in America, but it wasn't like they were their label. Yeah. Oh, could be right. Well, dude, dude, thanks for doing this, man. Um, anything else to uh, to tell the people or add that anything else I missed? Um, yeah, I mean, I did um, start another group. Well, I didn't start it, but I I um, have been in another group uh, over the past year. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, um, it's a group called Vault. Vault, and cool. um, it's interesting because um, so a cousin of mine. Um, was in this band uh, Windhand and Windhand is um, kind of like a actually a very big doom band at this t- time but um, he had a, a falling out with them and he said well I've got Eric that plays drums from Avail because they, they have been good friends and played in Alabama yeah. Thunder Pussy together and uh, he said I'd like you to be part of it as well so um, two of us, the three of us, plus uh, Dustin from Snapcase, and um, we did a demo and we went out and played a couple shows. But uh, you know, that's something that's still very early and still needs a lot of work. But it's a different thing and it's it's a lot of fun. So I'd love to kind of keep working on that and Snapcase as well. Cool. Yeah, I, I haven't heard of uh, Vault. You guys have we um, have released music. Yeah, there's um the demo is on uh on um what do you want to call it? Uh Bandcamp. Okay, cool. Yeah. So maybe I'll play uh maybe I'll play it right now for the people. Why not? Yeah, there's a song called Weeping Willow, either the first track or the last track on there. Okay, and, cool. Um, cool. It's uh I'm trying to remember the the link for it. I think it was vault dot three. 
Vault Three or something like that. I'll, I'll find but, it. Um, I'll, I'll tell the. I'll tell the people. Cool, man. Well, that's awesome. Um, yeah, congratulations on um, you know some of the, the the comeback shows being so successful, and I really hope that I'm able to catch one soon. Um, don't know if you're going to be in Toronto or in Detroit. Um, I'm usually split my time between those places, so I hope to see you guys soon. That would be a blast, and uh, thanks so much, Shane. And um, I've been checking out a lot of the podcasts that you've done, and they're great. And thanks, man. I really really enjoyed them, and. You know, hearing from other singers is super inspiring and, you know, hearing about how they struggle with their <laughs> losing their voices is always sure. like makes me feel better about myself too. So <laughs> absolutely, Daryl. Well, dude, thanks so much, man. And, uh, enjoy the rest of your night, man. All right. You too. Okay. Thanks, Shane. Thank you. Okay. Bye now. Bye now. So there it is with Daryl. I want to thank him so much for taking the time to speak with me and being so forthright and honest with his answers and I am really looking forward to new Snapcase music. I also can't believe that I wasn't aware of his new band Vault. They're amazing. I've been listening to them all week. If you want to check them out, go to bandcamp.com slash vault3, the number three. I think that's the link if I remember correctly. If not, just search for vault3 and there's an awesome EP on there. I'm going to definitely play a song at the end of this episode but first we gotta play the classic here we gotta play the classic this was a song that changed a lot and it starts the record progression through unlearning it starts with the snare drum we talked about so check this out this song is called Caboose by Snapcase and I'm gonna follow it up Blindfold by Vault here they are on Lead Singer Syndrome. Peace and love. We'll see you next week.